Father God, thank you so much for the gifts that you have given people and just uh, for their willingness to come and share those gifts with us and remind us of how great you truly are. God, thank you just for the remembrance of the sacrifice that you made for us. And so God, now as we come into this time to hear your word, God, I pray that you give us the attentive spirit to hear what you have to say so that God, we can just grow more in awe of who you are. And therefore, God, we can live our lives out of that. So God, I just pray that you speak to us. I know you have a word to proclaim this morning. So I pray you give me clarity in that. And I pray you give our hearts the attentiveness to hear your message. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So there is a universal rule for house remodeling. If you've ever started a remodel project or you've ever done anything on your house, you've probably become familiar with this universal rule. It's the unwritten rule. 90% equals 100%. So what's that, what that pretty much is saying that, hey, it's 90% done, we'll just call it good. You know, there's still a little unpainted walls, that's no big deal. You know, the toilet doesn't really flush, but we've got three others, so we'll just go ahead and use those. And there's always the tree out back that we can go use. Um, and so there's this, you start, and then you get pretty close to being done, and you think that's, that's good enough. It's kind of like the whole D's get degrees plan in, in high school where it's like, you know what, uh, we'll graduate still. And there's a problem with this. And, and the thing that usually comes, and it seems like especially on the house remodel, the moment you move in is the moment all work ceases. It's like you move in and it's like, all right, we're, we're living here for now. Like, we're going to call it good. And, and the problem that I see with this whenever you're going through that, because we've been remodeling our house for the last four years and probably will for the next 10. And the problem I see with this is you lose focus. Because, you know, you start that project and it's like, oh, let's get this done. And you start working on it. And then things start happening. You know, people get sick, you get in the habit of doing something else, you start having kids, you start going to activities, you start just being like, what's the point? It's good enough. You lose focus of what it is that you're, you're working towards. And so that's kind of what Paul talks to us in our passage this morning. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. And, we, and we've seen kind of what Paul has told us up until this point. He has told us in Colossians 1, kind of don't settle for being average. So often, you know, kind of in this mindset, we can get of, well, it's good enough. And Paul is saying, don't settle for just being an average believer. Don't settle with just being an average church. Strive for greatness, for the glory of God. And then in chapter 2, he went on to tell us, hold on to the promise and the truth of God. People are going to come in and they're going to try and deceive you. And they're going to try and tell you something that is not true about the word of God. Maybe, like what we hear today, it's outdated. It has nothing to do with our culture today. It's an old book that we can just get rid of. And really, what's true for you, that's all that matters. Whereas God's truth has something for us that we hold on to. And then last week we looked at when we give our life over to Christ, we die to the sins of our path, and Jesus is calling us to something so much greater. He says you died to the things of your past, so put to death those things like sexual immorality, like drunkenness, like anger, like covetousness, like all forms of idolatry. 
And then he says, put on the things of Christ. If you've died with Christ, then he says, set your minds on the things that are above. Seek out the things that are above. Continue to live this life for Jesus. He's saying, strive on. As the writer of Hebrews tells, or no, Paul tells us, fight the good fight of faith. He says, continue to persevere. He says in Philippians, one thing I do, I forget what lies behind so that I may press on towards the goal that God has called me for. And so the way we're gonna wrap up this series is we're gonna see, okay, God is calling us to not settle, to hold on, to put on the things of Jesus. And then today he's gonna tell us, focus. Because the thing is, is you get going through this thing called life, you give your life to Christ and pretty much everybody can probably relate to this. There are some highs in the Christian faith. You know, uh, the kids in Asbury College right now, if you haven't heard about it, it's in Kentucky. There was a revival that went on for 250 straight hours. And those kids were like, man, we are on the mountaintops. But the problem is they're gonna have that exam due the next day still. They're gonna have that relational conflict. They're gonna have that difficulty and that sickness and that whatever it is. And it's gonna try to force them to lose their focus because it does it to all of us. The busyness of life, whatever it is, there are things in this world that are gonna try and pull our focus away from doing the things that God has just told us to do in Colossians. And so what Jesus is telling us now is he is saying, focus, focus on the gospel. In everything you do, focus on the gospel. That's actually how Paul wrapped up Colossians chapter three. He said in Colossians chapter three, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Then he said in Colossians 3, 23, a couple verses later, he said, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. Work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. And so what Paul is telling us, he said it right there, whether you're speaking, whether you're acting, whether it's in public, not acting, doing an action, whether you're living, if it's in public, if it's in private, whatever it is, there is one purpose that you're doing it for. And it is for the glory of God, not the glory of myself. It is always God being at the center of it all. And the way we do that is we have a gospel focus on everything we do. What do I mean by a gospel focus? Well, a gospel focus is this. It is seeing the gospel in everything, meaning that out of everything we do, we see Jesus, what Jesus did, and therefore we live for him in everything. So at the front of my mind, I remember what Paul so beautifully pointed us to through remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. In everything that I do, it's like, okay, why should I do everything for the glory of God? Why should I work for God? Can I just go to my nine to five job that really doesn't require a whole lot of thinking and get a paycheck so that I can live for the weekend? And it's like, no. You're not working for that paycheck. You are working for God. Can I just have trivial, you know, uh, how's the weather conversation, superficial, shallow talk, small talk is the word I'm looking for. Small talk with people where it's not in depth and it's like, you can do that, but do that for the glory of God. 
whether in word or deed, your goal is to do everything for the glory of God. And then Paul went in in verse 18 through the end of chapter 3, and he said, in your marriages, you should be married as believers in Jesus, totally distinct from the rest of the world. Husbands, loving your wives. Wives, submitting to your husbands and doing it for the glory of God. As parents, you should be bringing up your children in the name of Jesus. You should be discipling them to be image bearers of Christ that they are. And as children, you should be obedient to your parents. And then he goes on to say, even in the workplace, he says, bond servants, obey your masters because truly you are obeying Jesus. And so it's like employees work for your boss. And I would even go so far to say, even if you are literally enslaved, you can do that for the glory of God. You can have the mindset to where you redeem everything and you do it for God's glory because your mindset is changed. You're focusing not on the things of this world, but you're focusing on the things of Jesus. So here's the problem with that though. Not really the problem, but the kicker. Paul has already told us there are going to be people that come in and try and tell us differently. Everything that I just talked about, it's not easy. It comes with difficulty. Paul told us in in Colossians chapter three, he said, if you have died with Christ, he says, put to death, meaning every single day, We have to die. Not easy, but it's good. It's the right thing to do. So Paul is telling us that we hold on to the truth. We live for Jesus. We strive for greatness. And people are going to come in and they're going to try and say, hey, just settle. Just settle in your relationship. You, You have faith. That's enough. Don't actually live your life for Jesus. Just, you know, whenever you win the championship, say, oh yeah, God is good, I want to give him thanks, but let's all go get drunk now. Like, God is calling us, live our lives differently. That's what it means to be holy. Set our lives apart. And people are going to come in, and they're going to try and deceive us. They're going to try and say, you know what, God didn't really mean that whole aspect that he said about, like, honoring the marriage bed and not letting the marriage bed be defiled. And so you can go ahead and try before you buy, go for it. You need to know if you're compatible, right? And it's like, no, God has a plan. And so we fight those, those lies. He's, there are gonna be people who come in and try and tell you that you're saved by grace alone plus a whole lot of other things. And it's like, no, the Bible says you are saved by grace alone through faith. We hold on to the truths no matter what comes our way. And then Paul transitions in our passage today by saying, this is how you do it. In Colossians chapter four, verse two, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so he's saying, continue steadfastly in everything you do, word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. And the way you do that is you are daily dependent on God through prayer. And, and I've had this conversation, it's, it's like God knows what I'm going to talk about, and so he gets in my head early. And so I've had this conversation a couple times in the past couple weeks about prayer life, because I'll be honest, mine's rough. And I like to give the whole cop out for myself of, well, I'm in a constant state of prayer. You know, he says, continue steadfastly. That's what I do. Like, God, thank you for the trees. Thank you for the clouds. That one looks cool. And it's just like running down these rabbit trails of I'm constantly praying. 
But it's like, if you look at the depth of my prayers, they're not there. And what that shows me is, do I have that dependence on God, of God, I need you now. My car's running great, the sky's beautiful, everything's good, I still need you. You are the way that I'm going to strive through this. I need to keep my mindset on you through everything. And he says, continue steadfastly. Do not be moved. Do not be swayed. But hold firm to the truth and continue in prayer. And Paul, he then brings it back to the gospel. He's like, hey, while you're praying, as you're talking about how you should, in everything you do, take it through prayer, have this just constant relationship with God where you see a dependence on him, he goes on to say, while you're praying at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. You know, Paul just told us in chapter 3 that our faith is not just professing something. It's not just saying, I believe that there was this man that walked the earth named Jesus and he died and it changes my life none. He said, actually, you're to die to everything because of what Jesus did. He said, there's this profession. It's not just a profession. He said, it's a life that we live. He said in Romans chapter 12, actually, he says, um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, I'm, I'm begging you by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The sacrifice was something that died on the altar. And Paul is saying every single day, you are living, but you are dying to yourself. You are putting to death the things of your flesh. And then he goes on in verse 2 and says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We present our bodies to God every single day. We die to ourselves so that we can glorify God through it all. Because Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, you are in a battle. That when you woke up this morning, there's a war being waged. And you are fighting that battle. And he says, don't fight against flesh and blood, but in, instead we are fighting against the principalities of this world, the dark forces at work. And then he says, put on the full armor of God because you are going to battle. And so you need to prepare yourself for battle. The way we do that is we have a gospel focus. And then notice what Paul said, the gospel has a boldness about it. He said that when you pray for me, Pray that I may be able to boldly proclaim the gospel. You know where Paul's at right now as he's writing the book of Colossians? He is in prison for the gospel, for proclaiming the name of Jesus. He is in prison and in chains right now for the gospel. And he is saying, please pray for me so that even though I'm in chains right now, I can proclaim the gospel, that I may have a boldness to go out and speak the truth to people. Because I think it's probably hard. I don't think Paul's this superhero that has abnormal abilities. I think that Paul had a dependence on God and he had difficulties though. 
And so I'm sure that there's times where Paul is in prison and he's having this mindset of, man, God, this is hard. Is it really worth it right now? And so he's saying, people, please pray for me that I may boldly proclaim the gospel because I'm in prison for the gospel. Do we have that same kind of boldness about proclaiming the, the salvation of Jesus that we have received? You see the writer of Proverbs 28.1, he says that we are to be bold because he says, the, right, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I mean, it's like God has given us this strength. He has given us the Holy Spirit. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 9, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your bodies are not your own. You were bought with a price. And so we have the Holy Spirit in us that should give us boldness to go forward, advancing in the gospel, advancing the gospel of Jesus. So I just want to ask, like, reflect on your life and think about it. This week, we won't go back a long time, we'll go this week. How boldly have you been in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus? How boldly have you been in sharing the life-altering salvation that you have received? That if you are a believer in Jesus, you are saying, I was dead to sin and Jesus made me alive. And so this is like the greatest thing ever. I can tell you if I were dead and then they're about to put me in the flames because I'm getting cremated, it's cheap. And then you bring and like right before they hit it, I'm like, whoa, I'm alive. I'm telling everybody that. I'm like, man, they were about to burn me. And then I came up, woke up, and it was like, don't do that. I'm alive. I'm making the news. I'm like being publicly known. And something greater than that has happened. And yet, do we have a boldness to proclaim that? To proclaim the salvation of Jesus? Because that's what Paul points to. That we are to share the gospel, to say, well, that was Paul's purpose. That's not my purpose. If you are a believer in Jesus, it is your calling to be a proclaimer of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says, we, notice he doesn't just say I, he says we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, 15, he says, in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. He says, you need to be ready to make a defense. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus gives the command, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And you might have the mindset, well, that is for the church to do. Remember who you are. I'm not the church. We are the church. We make up the body of Christ, and we, as the church, have been called to go forth on the mission that God is calling us on, to go and make disciples, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Because here's the thing that I have found out. What we are most passionate about is what we are going to freely share. I mean, the things, there are conversations that I have with people, and uh, 
<laughs> going to reveal something here. Anyways, having conversations with people. I'm going to throw farmers under the bus. You know, they're talking to me about like all their different crops and they're passionate about it. And it's like, man, I know it rains and stuff grows up out of the ground. That's about the extent of my knowledge of farming and equipment and all that stuff. But people talk to me about it because they're passionate. And I want to hear it because I care about you. I have no idea what we're talking about, though. <laughs> Anyways, the gospel should be that on us. Every farmer's like, man, are we in the right church right now? Anyways, the gospel should be that to us. That we're just like so passionate about it that we want to share. This is what Jesus has done. Man, how has Jesus worked in your life this week? What have you seen him doing in your life this week? Man, he blessed us with X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Do we have that passion for the gospel to boldly proclaim it and live it? But not only do we boldly proclaim it, we clearly articulate it because that's what Paul also prayed for. In verse 4, he said that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. I would say that probably the number one reason, and, and I, I know a lot of the hearts of the people here. You have a heart for the gospel. But one of the biggest reasons I would assume that we don't share the gospel is for this reason. I don't know what I would say. What if they ask? What if they, whatever it is, we don't feel that we can clearly articulate. And so we allow that to hold us back. And so answer me this. Do, you don't have to actually answer me this, but think about this. If at this moment, a non-believer said, hey, can you explain to me what the gospel is? Would you be able to give an answer? Would you be able to respond with, actually, I am glad, I've been waiting for you to ask me this because Peter says, always be prepared to give a hope for the defense, give a defense for the hope that you have. I have been waiting, let me tell you. Or would you be like, it, uh, uh, Jesus did something, um, can you come back to me later? Like, are we able to boldly and clearly present the gospel? So let me tell you what the gospel is. Here's some passages that you can just run through and you don't even have to be like, well, you see Romans chapter 12, verse three, Romans chapter three, verse 23. But this is the concept of it. Couple different areas in the Bible. It's like the whole Bible, but couple areas we're gonna look at. Romans three twenty-three. Here's the bad news. Gospel means good news. This is the bad news. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So lead in with that. Hey, can you explain to me what the gospel is? Well, you see, um, there is this God, and he is perfect, and we're not. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of that sin is death. Bad news. The gospel is good news, which follows right after that. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Romans 5, verse 10, Paul tells us, that while we were still enemies, we were reconciled with God by the death of his son. Now much more that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So the bad news is we're all sinners, we're all deserving of death, but the good news is that there is a free gift that God is giving before we did anything good so that we could be set apart and reconciled. And then therefore, Romans 12, 
We live our lives out of that. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So you can work your way through Romans. I love Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. I've quoted it a lot. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. You were following the, the your, let me read it. <laughs> you were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's the bad news, the gospel, the good news. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the gospel. We were dead, but God made us alive through Jesus by grace, not because of anything I did. Or, as Paul told us, you could simply share the most popular verse in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Or you could mix it up. I mean, the Bible has equipped us with how to share the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus. We had no hope because of what Jesus did. I now have an eternal hope that cannot be taken away from me. That is the gospel of Jesus in a nutshell. Really, Paul, he said it in 1 Timothy 1.15. It's a trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. You see, there is a boldness about the gospel, and we are called to go and boldly proclaim it with clarity and to be led in all of that through prayer, to see that we need God in all of it. So another question that I would have that when I ask you, I'm asking myself also, did you pray this week for boldness and clarity to proclaim the gospel? Was that on the top of your list? God, present opportunities for me to share your message with a hurting and broken world. God, give me the boldness to do it and give me the clarity when that moment comes to be able to share the hope that I have in you. We lead it all with prayer. And so here's, here's how I want to kind of, our last point. Because it seems like in this world, I had this conversation this morning, we go to extremes. I mean, it is like, I'm, I'm definitely that way. It's like all the way extreme here or all the way extreme there. We have to find a middle ground. For example, grace and truth. There are people who are like, it is all about grace. You just tell them that God's grace covers over all their sin and they're saved and that's all God is asking for them. They are super heavy on the grace. 
Whereas you have other people who are so strong on the truth that it's like, it, yeah, there's some grace there, but man, you got to tell them, stop cussing, stop chewing, stop drinking, stop all of that stuff. And if they don't, I don't even know if they're truly saved. It's all about truth. Bash them over the head with the Bible. Whereas what we see with Jesus in John chapter 8, whenever the woman is caught in the middle of adultery and she is brought before Jesus and they're like, hey, Jesus, should we stone her or not? Because the law says that we should stone her, but you're talking all about this forgiveness. Jesus, after he makes everybody else leave, looks at her and he says, woman, where are they who condemn you? And she looks around and says, there's no one, Lord. And he says, neither do I. There's grace. I don't condemn you either. But then he follows it up with truth. Go and sin no more. And so we have to have this grace and this truth. We go on crazy spectrums of, is it all about evangelism? Where all we do, the only people we care about is people outside this building. Sorry, everybody in here. We only focus on those outside. Or is it all about discipleship? Who cares about those outside? We focus on those who are here. Whereas we meet somewhere in the middle, that God has a heart for those outside as well as growing those inside. And so we go back and forth. And so this is my point here. A lot of people think that the gospel is just something we say. Whereas what Paul is going to tell us in verse five through six is the gospel is how you live your life as well. You, there's this saying that says, always be prepared to preach a sermon, and if necessary, use words. So we should always be prepared to, hey, give an account for the gospel. But really, the sermon that we're preaching is the lives that we live. That we are called to live a gospel life. Paul, he tells us in uh, 2 Timothy 4.2, he says, preach the word. There is a time where you have to preach. Actually, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse not, or not verse 9, um, verse 13, he says, how are they going to hear if no one preaches to them? That faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So we have to speak. We have to actually say something. But if I'm up here telling you God is calling you to live separate from the world and then you find me throughout this week cheating on Heather and cussing up a storm about Isaiah and getting drunk, are you going to believe the words that come out of my mouth? You're going to be like, whoa, double standard there. Whereas we live the lives that we live. Because people are going to hear what you say, but they're going to look at your life to see if you back it up. So Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4, preach the word. It is necessary to use words. But then in verse 5 through 6 of Colossians 4, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best of the use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. He's saying, Yes, you're going to have to speak, but it is also about the life that you live. When people look at your life, they should be able to tell you are a Christian. That's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you're going to see all these false prophets who are probably going to be saying some really cool stuff, but the fruit of their life is not going to measure up. And then he ends up by saying, you will know them by their fruit. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before men. 
He said, you are the salt of the earth. People should be able to look at you and see. That is how a Christian lives. That is what it means to be a follower of Christ. I'm going to pick on the man. I like him, Patrick Mahomes. Before the Super Bowl, they asked him, hey, how big of a role in your life does faith play? And he said, it's a big part of my life. It really drives everything I do. And I'm not judging if he's a Christian or not, but based on the fruit of his life, I have seen the man super intoxicated. And he's like, I'm going to drink up. We won the Super Bowl. Let's get drunk. And it's like, Jesus says that we are to put off, put to death the things of this world, drunkenness. And so he's saying that I'm a Christian, it drives everything I do, but I'm going to cuss and I'm going to drink. And he is faithful to his wife, that's a good thing, but I don't see the fruit. And now I'm not saying that I'm walking around judging everybody, but he is put on this podium. And then he said, I am a follower of Jesus, but he is continuing to live. And it's like, does he have a gospel life? Now compare it to Tim Tebow. And you know there is a difference in the way they're living. And you know one is like, man, he is not only talking the talk, he is walking the walk. And what Jesus is calling us to do is to live our lives for him. To live gospel-focused lives. To claim Christ and to live in sin is a contradiction. I've said that through this series. The two cannot go together. And that's not me saying that. That is Jesus saying that. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. Chapter 3, verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And then Paul tells us in Galatians 5, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now that's God telling us, hey, when you give your life over to me, remember, you died to your sins so that you shall no longer walk in your sin. You're going to struggle. I'm not saying that. I had a really bad Wednesday night where I, I inserted foot in mouth and said things that I wish I never would have said. And grace covers over our sin. But we do not walk in that sin. God is calling us as his chosen people to live lives set apart. That we live lives that are representations of the gospel of Jesus. That we died to our sin and we are living for Christ. That's what we've seen through this whole message of the letter. Because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you, you live your lives according to that. Now we hold on to grace so hard. I mean, I'm, I'm a truth person, not in that I love throwing truth at people, but 
I know the truth of myself. I know my thoughts. I know my actions. I know how bad of a person I am. And so I want the grace. I hold on to grace. So I am more likely to give people grace. But God calls us to truth also. That we are called to live for him because we're saved, not so that we can be saved. And so I just want to conclude by asking this question. Is your life reflecting the gospel? I'm not going to stand up here and tell you yes or no, like go through each and every single one of you. You're doing a good job. You're bad. I want you to ask yourself that and ask God that. God, have I truly grasped what the gospel means? And is my life reflecting what my mouth is saying? Is my heart surrendered over to you? When you look at the fruit of your life, does it line up with the truth of the gospel? I want to conclude this entire series by praying the prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Colossae in Colossians chapter 1. He said, first off, Thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking, this is our prayer, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. God, may that be us. May that prayer just reign over us that we grow in you. And I'm going to ask for Kurt and the crew to come up. And I want to close finally with this last passage, verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.